Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. And one of the things we talk about is if we don't give effort, if we're not recognized for effort at the University of Oklahoma, then I'm a con man and they're a fraud. All right, guys, welcome to the Oklahoma Breakdown Podcast, brought to you guys by SB Nation's Crimson and Cream Machine. I'm your host today, Tommy Amrabian, joined by, guys, it's been a long time since we've had the entire crew here. I've been joined by Stephen Brown and Jack Shields. Stephen, tell me how you're doing. I know you're in the middle of, of a move, but how, how's life treating you? It's good. It's good. We're what uh, three weeks removed from COVID, and I just learned Jack was faking his the whole time. I was uh, not. So faking. that was. A, <laughs> I was. That's a little bit disappointing, but uh, yeah, we're moving. <laughs> I just assembled some uh, some furniture, and by that I meant like one of those eight by eight cube things you can buy at Target. But uh, it felt it felt accomplishment. How there long did go. it? How long did it take you to do the job? The put the furniture together. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, it was probably like 45 minutes, something like Not that. Not bad. That's that's some good record time, you know? Oh, I just realized you said Target, right? Yeah. This is the time of year that they sell Elf on a Shelf. I haven't seen it. I think Elf on a Shelf was weird as hell. That that wasn't it. around when we were kids, yeah. was it? No, because, you know, like the whole premise behind Elf on a Shelf is like, hey, Santa's watching, so this elf's staring at you while you're sleeping, but it's going to be in different positions when you wake up. <laughs> But like my mom would just say, if, you know, if I better be good or else either A, she'd whip my ass or B, I wasn't going to get presents or C, all of the above. So I just listened to my mom. Like I felt like just the, I felt like the arrangement back then was, hey, Santa's always watching. He knows. He doesn't need like elves Mm -hmm. to report. He just knows. He's like this. Uh, he has like a crystal ball thing. Yeah, he's like yeah. this transcendent being. Who but also like is thick as hell. Like this dude, I feel like Santa could knock somebody out. Maybe. I don't know. The, it depends on what Santa. Yeah, like the Mel Gibson Santa. Mm-hmm. In that new weird movie, he could probably yeah he could beat people up. But you guys ever seen that movie Jingle All the Way with Arnold Schwarzenegger? Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, of do you remember when he goes to that Santa shop and like there's this huge buff Santa and also like really <laughs> Santa or excuse me, small people Santas? That one. <laughs> it's always fun. I'm not allowed to say that word. Vox would. I think have it's a uh, fit. Yeah, it's becoming more taboo than it used to be. <laughs> I'll put a I'll put a beep there instead. Uh, but <laughs> you know, <laughs> guys. Jack, I didn't even get to you. Jack, how's life, man? We we talked before the podcast, and 
the dog was not very happy with its its position. Uh, but you know, like what's going on in life? I didn't. Well, I didn't get to walk him today. So like, because mm. the snow, and I, I mean, right. I theoretically I could walk him, but he would be trying to get in the snow and i'd have to it's it's adorable when he does it but then i have to you know clean up all the snow particles out of his like fur and stuff like that he's a schnauzer so it gets stuck in his fur and it's that big hassle for me but anyway he uh he has to vent his energy somehow so he goes out of his way to be a stinker when he hasn't walked so basically he was just I have a chair in here that has like metal legs and he's biting the metal legs. How much sense does that make? I don't know. He's trying what to, kind of dog is this? Like, he's what trying dog to create your next is chair accident. This man, he knows the history of the podcast. He's trying to recreate the chair accident when he destroyed your family's old, other older chairs. Did you buy the metal leg chairs after that happened? Yes. Did. It's a great investment. Oh yeah, totally. But nice chair. I dig it. But yeah. uh yeah, and then I you know, I was out for a while cuz like everyone I know and their dog had covid. Mm-hmm. And so I assumed I had it, but I tested mm-hmm. negative twice. I don't know what the deal is. Look at I think you. superpowers. Maybe I was bit by a spider like Spider-Man and can't catch COVID. No, man. It's all the Tito's in the frozen grapes. That's what it <laughs> I is. I don't really drink much Tito's anymore. See, I don't know. So I don't think that's giving me the immunity anymore. Those are the cotton candy grapes? Yeah, the cotton candy grapes. Maybe yeah, I haven't had cotton candy grapes in a minute. That's going to have to change. Hmm. Then I definitely wouldn't get COVID. Yeah, but probably not. Yeah, I know, mean, I... I don't even need a vaccine. Just cotton candy grapes <laughs> from Trader Joe's. Like... Two pounds honestly, a day. Honestly, yeah. like people are worried about what's in the vaccine. I think the vaccine should just worry about what I have inside of me. So, you like, go. you know, it's, it's stuff about that. But, <laughs> guys, you know, there's a game to talk about, I guess, this weekend. And then Oklahoma had a big early national signing day. Uh, right now, they're ranked, dep- depending upon what service you use, uh, but they're ranked in the top 10 classes. Uh, not long after Tennessee said they were building Voltron and shit talk the Sooners early in like September and August. And then look how their seasons both turned out, but Hey, who's counting? Who's counting? But yeah, this, this Saturday, 11 AM ABC, the Oklahoma Sooners are going to take on the Iowa state Cyclones at Jerry world. Sooners are favored by five and a half. It is number six, Iowa state versus the number 10th ranked Sooners. You know, Iowa state's, possibly eyeing a cultural playoff experience maybe who knows but these two teams we've seen them play before and it was honestly like it was a good game and i know the outcome is not what sooner fans wanted but it was a good game it was back and forth um these with that said this team is super different from when we saw them last play oklahoma didn't have a lot of players playing uh, with them spencer rather still becoming more mature etc and now Iowa State, though, they're in the thick of things and they got players a lot more healthy. Like Oklahoma, I know Iowa State was looking at their tight ends, Charlie Kolar and the other ones. They weren't even for 100% to go. So coming off a bye week, I guess you might say, Oklahoma didn't play West Virginia or anything. And um, who needed that bye week more, I guess? Because Oklahoma, they kind of like, I don't know. It was an awkward game with Baylor. You knew Oklahoma would win. You, they were clearly ba- better than Baylor, but Baylor just stuck it with them the entire time. 
And then you have Iowa State just like clobbering the Mountaineers. And then you go into a bye week and not a non-playing week. And now you're going to play in the conference championship game. Is that going to affect one team more than the other? And Steven, I'll go to you first. I think it will. Um, and just having that that game experience, that repetition um, on the field, I mean, that just kind of gears you up for the next week. Um, but also, in a way, it does help Oklahoma. Um, obviously, they had a problem with COVID going on where um, they were close to maybe dropping a game or two. Um, so I think in both ways, it hurts Oklahoma on the field, but and it gave them the opportunity to become more healthy as a team. And I think that, you know, you go to West Virginia, you play Baylor, maybe you risk um, losing another player too. Yeah, I agree. And Jack, <clears throat> Jack, what do you think? And I, yeah, I generally agree with Steven. And, you know, he did mention game reps. You got to remember coming into this game, OU has only played two games in the past month. Hmm. So it losing, uh, not being able to play last week, that impacts OU more than it does Iowa State. But just because OU, has had the West Virginia game canceled twice and just had two open dates in this past month. And so the reps just aren't really there. I mean, it feels like we haven't seen a solid performance out of OU since that Oklahoma state game, which feels like it was three months ago. So, I mean, I think OU would have benefited from that. I think they needed a tune up after the performance against Baylor. I think the offensive line needed another game to sharpen things up. Granted, the defense, I think, is probably going to be even more hungry. You know, so, I mean, they haven't been able to hit anyone for the past, you know, I guess two weeks or three weeks. I don't, I don't even remember anymore. It's been so long. Yeah, it, it, it has felt long and drawn out. And I think about these two teams, and I look at Iowa State, and I look at Oklahoma, and I see this kind of senior leadership from Iowa State and they're pushing forward. You know, Matt Campbell has those dudes straight as an arrow. Uh, we're looking forward to this game on Saturday. And Lincoln Riley, that's not to say this team isn't laser-focused either, but really, you know, a young team, haven't played two of the last four weeks. It's been odd. Uh, you know, might walk into this game a little bit sleepy because they've been there several times, like literally five for the last, you know, five straight years or you know, however many of them were actually in Jerry World. So I think, you know, this bye week, it benefits Iowa State a little bit more, despite the fact that Oklahoma will be getting more players back that are going to be incredibly useful for them when they take on the clones. So, again, first time these teams have played since earlier in the year. Um, there's, It's not a big fan. Like, it's not the first game that Ames had with fans anymore. Now the fans are kind of, like, evenly distributed around the stadium and the the ticket prices not ticket prices but the ticket sales are, are pretty even from what i understand regarding the fan, oklahoma fans and iowa state fans getting distributed but the first time these teams played oklahoma was not ready physically for the clones really on either side of the ball defensively they were ready for the size not necessarily of their offensive line but they were ready for the size of just their receivers and their tight ends at all and that's not something they can make up for this is not a strength thing this is just a height thing and then when Oklahoma was on offense, my goodness, Iowa State's defense is very, very disciplined. They won't give you much. Um, they play a lot of like zones and they're very sturdy up front. And Oklahoma could not run the ball to save their lives. And that was just a, it's a, it's a really bad situation. Do you guys think much has changed since then? And like how much, if so, Jack, I'm coming to you first. 
I think from a mental standpoint, from a psychological standpoint, I think Oklahoma's in a much better headspace than it was at that point. Because you remember, they had just come off of blowing a, what was it, a 21-point lead against Kansas State? Yeah. And it was a young team at that point. And it was a, not only was it a young team, it was a young team that was in the beginning of a very unconventional season, which had followed a very <laughs> unconventional offseason. Right. Now that the game reps are in, I think Oklahoma obviously is in a much better position at this point. And I mean, then they're stating the obvious, which is Ronnie Perkins being back or Mondre Stevenson being back, the offensive line being a little bit better, definitely not perfect, but a little bit better. And I, you know, Iowa state, obviously they have more players back too, as well. They were down some people early in the year. So, you know, it goes both ways a little bit, but you would have to think advantage Oklahoma as far as what's happened between now and then. Yeah, Stephen, what do you think? Yeah, I think you have to look at both the offenses, um, <clears throat> especially with Oklahoma. You're looking at a team, I think when they were playing Iowa State, they were averaging maybe, I think it was 125 yards per game, somewhere it's in very, that, that area. Yeah, it's very bad. Uh, through the stretch down November, Oklahoma was averaging 195 yards on the ground, mm -hmm. and a lot of that has to do with the, with the Ramondre Stevenson being back, but also the offensive line kind of gelling and playing a lot better. Uh, probably getting into better shape at this point in the season. So um, this is a team that it's it would not be the same matchup as it was uh, the first time. And I'd like to just talk about the coaching for a second. I mean, early in the season, it's, it felt like Lincoln Riley had the reins pulled back a little bit more and Spencer Rattler and had the reins pulled back a little bit more on what these guys could do. Just like, hey, be safe, you know, just make the right make the right play that's there. And I think it made, made them a little bit conservative. I mean, like you look at the Kansas state game, instead of pressing on, they kept, they kept on just like, Oh, we're just going to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. And then when the game was on the line, then start passing the ball when they're out of rhythm and the Iowa state game, Oklahoma really never got into a rhythm because of how poor the run game was. And then, Lincoln Riley, I mean, of course, he starts changing his offense. He, the, the thing with Drake Stoops, like basically running from side to side to identify the defense was not a thing earlier in the year. They're getting Mikey Henderson a lot more involved when he's healthy, uh, doing a lot of more, a lot more different sets and read option looks with Spencer Rattler. And so I give a lot of kudos to Al, uh, Alex Grinch and Lincoln Riley for being really this, being a really, really great coached year from where they began the year um against oh, who they even played the first game they beat the hell missouri state to where they are now and i think man you just look at this oklahoma team and they this it's this same oklahoma team right now they could have played kansas state i'm really curious what would have happened then so no, what we know about iowa state is this and this is the thing that scared me the first time that made me pick iowa state the first time which is they use a ton of tight ends of big dudes and most notably charlie kolar who is a norman north you know norman oklahoma native and the Sooners right now, I mean, today was National Signing Day, the early period, you, you can see they're still getting big bodies in their defense. And so, but what do you expect to see this weekend defensively? Are, are they going to take their same traditional approach with Buki out there at Nickelback, even though he's a foot and a half shorter than Charlie Kolar? Are they going to try different things uh, with like a Robert Barnes or what we saw just the other day that could maybe combat that a little bit more at a nickel? What do you think? And Steven, I'm coming to you first. For that, I don't know if they change it too dramatically. Um, maybe you take Brendan Riley House off the field in some obvious passing down situations, especially in the red zone. 
Um, Cause that's where he struggled the most was just not being able to, to cover Charlie Kolar. So maybe you get a bigger body in there. Um, I do think that uh, Alex Grinch is going to try to dial up a lot more pressure this time around, especially with Ronnie Perkins back, uh, Nick Benito back from, from being uh, sidelined with COVID. So um, they have two healthy, uh, strong pass rushers there. I think they're going to utilize that pretty well. Um, the other thing is they need to somehow figure out how to stop Brees Hall. Um, and I think they can do that uh, again with, with Ronnie Perkins um, taking away a lot of the attention. Maybe this is a big game for Perry on Winfrey. Jack, what do you think? Yeah, I generally agree with Steven here, but I mean, with Buki physically, you mentioned he's about a foot and a half shorter than Charlie Kohler. I mean, you saw all the defensive holdings and pass interference penalties that he had against. And it's Kohler. not just now, him, right? It's it's, it's Trey Brown. It's, it's Trey it's, Brown. It's, yeah, also it's basically just shorter. Pat Fields. They all get boxed out. For, yeah, just shorter defensive backs for Oklahoma who. Yeah can't realistically make a play on the ball in those situations without holding or committing passengers. So do you so, guys think they'll like put in maybe they're going to be younger defensive backs, but more with more strength and muscle. Like you, we've seen what Woody Washington brings to the table. He's more just, he's more physical. We've seen uh, what Devin Graham can bring to the table. We've seen, or DJ Graham, you can, we've seen what other young players like Joshua Eaton and others have brought to the table just by being more physical. And that's kind of a presence that they need in Trey Brown, Buki, Pat Fields, all three of these dudes got boxed out time after time after time. But I think to what Steven said earlier is this year, Oklahoma was kind of like relying on their pass rush to get to Purdy because Iowa state's offensive line wasn't supposed to be that great. And Oklahoma didn't really generate pressure that much all night. So I think with this defensive line, um, I think they have a better, much better chance of making Purdy feel a little bit more uncomfortable. But I don't, I don't know what to really expect from this game. I mean, Jack, I know I interrupted you, but do you think that they use more conventional approaches, or do you think kind of like what Steven's saying is like, hey, they're going to take dudes out and obvious passing downs with tight ends? Like, how does that? Yeah, I, I do agree with Steven there. And one of the good things that came from that Baylor game is that we got a chance to see a little bit of what. Robert Barnes had to offer in the year of our Lord 2020 something that we did not expect to see in the year of our Lord 2020 I thought he was never Made me gonna... happy for him Made me I did happy yeah, for him. I, yeah I was, I was shocked as hell that absolutely. he was lining up secondary think he was ever going to play a meaningful snap for right. Oklahoma ever again and he he filled in admirably in spot yeah. duty like that and so with his link you know he's about 6'2 He's not as athletic as he used to be, but he's 6'2", and someone who could theoretically, in certain, like Steven said, red zone situations, he's someone who could maybe match up on Charlie Kolar. So, Man, I mean, I, I, I'd like to see that. I don't want to see a ton of Buki in those situations. I'm not, and I'm not a Buki basher, generally. Mm-hmm. He has his few bonehead plays a game, but like Alan mentioned in a few of his articles, he's out there for 70 defensive snaps a game approximately. And you don't really hear from him on the other 68 because generally he's where he's supposed to be. He's not throwing anybody's shoes. Yeah. See, I wanted to going off on a tangent here. I see this play and I'm like, God, if I was a Florida fan, I would be so mad. And then it occurred to me that is totally something that Buki would do. Mm-hmm. absolutely mm-hmm. so you know 
whatever. <laughs> it's just really interesting to see what this team might do. I mean, Oklahoma could have really used Justin Harrington being healthy this year. Absolutely, yeah. That, right, it, right there. They they could have used him so much. And so he would be a perfect matchup for someone yeah. like Charlie Kohler. Looking forward to next season's defense, I suppose. But talking about the defense, you know, Alex Grinch, he takes it from year one. They take him from basically the worst, one of the worst statistical defenses and just the worst defenses in regards to what the ratio is with the offense. I mean, God, there couldn't be more of a big difference. You look at the offense and you say, wow, this team is playoff bound every year. But then you go to the defensive side of the ball practice and you're like, uh, like, are they a middle of the road team or worse? Like, because the defense has been so poor under Mike Stoops. And then Alex Grinch takes them to more than serviceable. And then the next year he takes another step and they're seemingly one of the better units in the nation. Although I think some of that is like amplified by how bad some of the, t- the offenses are in the big 12. Do you guys, and I'm coming back to you, Jack, do you guys trust this defense is it for real yet, or do we have to see what happens in the bowl game and on into year three under Alex Grinch? I can't tell. Can we rely on this defense? I believe so in this situation. I think you can against a team like Iowa State. I, I Now, if they were going up against a, you know an Alabama or a Clemson or a Florida offense, I'm not completely sure about how they would match up physically. But against an Iowa State, I do. And I'm part of the reason you're so much more confident this year than you were in, say, 2018 is the defensive scheme for the front seven. Yep. Part of it, you know, under Mike Stoops, the defensive linemen, their role in many situations was just to eat up blocks. And when you do that, your pass rush is just inherently set back. And I mean, you can, on any given play at this point in time, I'm completely confident that Oklahoma can get pressure, whether they're rushing three whether they're rushing four, whether they're rushing five, whether they're blitzing a corner, whatever. I'm fully confident just because there's a concerted effort to get around blockers at this point, and they have the personnel to do so. And I think that's a huge part of it. And then, you know, the run defense, it's legitimate. You've seen some really good run offenses in the Big 12 that they've faced this year, and none of them have been able to get anything going whatsoever. I, I think, and again, if you go up against, you know, an Alabama or Clemson, it would be a little bit different. But I think in this situation, I do trust this defense. Steven, what about you? Yeah, I have to agree with that. I'm not a big believer in what this defense would do against a playoff caliber team. Um, But against Iowa State, it's more than serviceable. Um, I think this defense, they're not going to shut Iowa State down, obviously, but they can hold them to below average. given given the opportunity um again i think that front seven is pretty strong uh again with ronnie perkins and nick benito kind of on the edge demanding those those double teams um this is a big opportunity for guys uh, perry on winfrey mentioned again uh isaiah thomas is another guy that can that can make a, a difference so we'll see what they do um uh, with the bright lights and let's see if these guys really are stars um both in perry on winfrey and isaiah thomas yeah, I trust this. I trust this team's defensive line. They've they've shown out really big time. Perry and Winfrey showed a big time in the beginning of the year. Uh, Isaiah Thomas just kept on coming on, and then you add Ronnie Perkins into the mix while Laron Stokes was doing well, then went out for health reasons, and now he's back. Corey Roberson, Joshua Kelly, and of course you can't be without Nick Benito just killing like he's always in, in the backfield. And John Michael Terry is finally good to go. 
who started in place of Nick Benito. So you got you got a lot to like, especially on that line. Um, they're very they're very disruptive, very active, twists, stunts, you name it. Um, not a lot of pushing, reading, and then reacting, which is really nice. Uh, it creates havoc, which is good. Sometimes not as good, but most often that's what you want to do as a defense. Um, Oklahoma's gotten a, quite a bit of talent back since they played in Ames. I mean, they didn't have Hazelwood. They didn't have Ramondre Stevenson. They didn't have Ronnie Perkins. Now, Oklahoma did have Austin Stogner. We have no clue if he's going to go or not. I mean, it doesn't sound like he will. I'd be very surprised. Oklahoma doesn't look like they'll see Trajan Bridges at all this year either. But knowing that Oklahoma has these three, these three players back for sure, Hazelwood, Stevenson, and Perkins, look at earlier, this year's earlier team that went to Ames. I mean, your best running back, I think, of the night was Seth McGowan. Uh, the team had, come, had a lot of early setbacks with first and 20s and first and 15s, just really, really piss-poor management. And... So now, at the end of this season, do you think in a tight matchup in the Big 12 title game, when the lights are brightest, that this team is emotionally mature enough to hold a lead that's like a 10-point lead or maybe come from behind or stick a game out that's a really tough game in the fourth quarter? Are they mature enough now instead of like where they were early in the season, Steven? I mean, it depends on Buki's on the field, really. And... Uh... <laughs> If you're bringing up emotional maturity. That's <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. No, I think uh, a lot of it has to do with Spencer Rattler. I think he's matured as a quarterback. Um, he's gotten a lot better as a game manager. So in that regard, I think um, the leadership on the field is a lot better than it was coming into the season. But also with Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch, they had some, some question marks early in the season as far as play calling. And uh, so far, they really haven't. I mean, I haven't seen anything just troubling from them either. Jack, what about you? Yeah, I generally agree, and I generally agree that it comes down to Spencer Rattler because I'm really – I have no question about the defense it, it, other than, you know, you bring up Pookie wow. and emotional yeah. maturity. But at this stage in the season, the defense has given me zero reason to believe that they're not psychologically up for the task at this point. I mean, would you agree with that? Offensively, you psychologically, worry a bit about I, psychologically, I think that I agree. Physically, against Iowa State, I think it imposes big problems for Oklahoma. Yeah, of course. But then you go with the emotional maturity on the offensive side. Mm -hmm. It's if the offensive line isn't doing its job, then I am a little worried about Spencer Rattler in that situation, but less worried than I was. When, during the first matchup, obviously. I mean, you saw him against Texas a week after this first matchup, and the moment was too big for him. Yeah. It, it simply was until he was benched, and then he kind of calmed down a little bit and kind of buckled down a little bit. So and then delivered in the, in the overtime. Delivered in the fourth quarter and delivered in overtime. Jeez. So, yeah. yes, I am more confident than I was at that stage in the season. But if there is a question mark, for emotional maturity, it's obviously the offense. Yeah, I, I have a tough time with this question. I mean, it's only been, you know, what, four or five games, six games the last time Oklahoma played Iowa State. And the it's other been, thing man, is you know. Oklahoma hasn't really been in a clutch crunch time situation since that Iowa State game, since that Texas game. Yeah. So it's kind of hard to gauge that at this point. I agree. I mean, in Oklahoma, you know, 
They shouldn't have been in that position against Kansas State, and when they did, they cratered. Uh, they were up again by 10 or 11 points, Iowa State, and they could have gone up by 18. They got the ball back, and they kind of just fell apart there too. And, you know, maybe that's the early season blues with them being so young and getting everybody figured out with personnel and with all the COVID stuff and all the offensive line game and the groove of things. Maybe that's it. And maybe also the added leadership of Ronnie Perkins being on the field and the added leadership of Ramondre Stevenson showing people what it looks like to have a grown ass man run the football after you've seen Seth McGowan kind of still in his high school body. And uh, TJ Pledger is a totally different running back than Ramondre Stevenson. So you kind of get two sides. You know, I'm really curious to see what do they do with Jeremiah Hall in this game with Mikey Henderson because. If Austin Sogner can't go, Mikey Henderson will go. And Oklahoma's offense is dynamic when one of those guys can play. They're super dynamic when both can play. And, of course, you saw what they aren't when they don't have either of them and they play good defense like Baylor. Baylor can't play offense, but they have a damn good defense. And I think that needs to be be noticed. I mean, Dave Aranda is a great coach. And so I don't, I'm not too sure if the team is emotionally mature, but I think they've definitely matured over the year and gotten a lot better. And so – how do you guys, and Jack, I'm coming to you first. How do you guys really foresee this game playing out? You know, how, what do you see happening? Of course, it's in a familiar place for the Sooners. You know, they've been to Jerry World however many years in a row. This would be their sixth in a row if they were to win it. But Iowa State, they're riding an emotional high with this five-star five star culture. We're in the all-blacks so once again. And, you know, not only is it a conference championship on the line, which they haven't had this opportunity in a long, long time, actually, really, if ever, they're the most success they've had since – now is Seneca Wallace and they possibly have a college football playoff shot at the line. So Jack, what do you, what do you think in what goes on and everything else? Well, for one, I don't think there's any real chance of a blowout in either direction, just because one Iowa state defensive coordinator, John Heacock, just simply his defense is sort of designed to take an offense like Lincoln Riley's outside of its comfort zone. And it's that's basically worked, mm-hmm. even in Oklahoma's wins yep. over the past, you know, three or four years. So I don't think OU offensively is just going to light up the scoreboard. And because of this, I don't think there's any way it's going to be a blowout. But at the same time, I think Oklahoma's talent will probably win the day in the end, just because this team mentally is a bit more ready psychologically and just focus wise than it was back in, I guess, what was it early October? Something like that. So who the hell knows at this point in 2020, but like, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I think in the end, Oklahoma's talent will win out, but there's no way that Oklahoma is going to just impose its will with its offense in this game. I think we're probably going to be in for a nail biter on Saturday, which I'm, I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm not looking forward to that at all. Nope. I don't need that. But, um, yeah, I I think we're going to probably go down to the wire with this one, unfortunately. And, and Steven, I mean, we are talking about this a while ago, pre-pod, that, I mean, I I, I was thinking – I don't know what I was thinking about, but I was talking about OU versus Chase Daniel in the Big 12 title game, and I remember – Missouri was on the cusp of going to the national title if they had just won that Big 12 title game. I think they were like number two in the nation at that point. Number one. Were they number one? They were number one, yeah. And Chase Daniel was so upset because they were rematching the Sooners, which they lost to earlier in the season. But Oklahoma, of course, was ranked behind them. Oklahoma was not going to get a shot at the national title. 
and they they were favored in this game, kind of like Oklahoma is favored against Iowa State, except Oklahoma actually lost to Iowa State early in the year. And so Iowa State already has their culture. Iowa State already knows they're not bringing in five stars and blue chippers like Oklahoma is, just like they did today. And so coming to you, Stephen, like, what, what do you see happening in this game? And, you know, what do you think is going to go on? I'd bet that Oklahoma gets off to a, a pretty fast start. Um, they've had enough time to, you know, sit around and, and scout this Iowa State team and see kind of where they could have done better. Um, so I, I bet Oklahoma gets out early, um, kind of like they did before. The big question for me <clears throat> would be, like, what does Oklahoma do once Iowa State makes adjustments? Because Matt Campbell and his staff are one, one of the best in the nation, um, or they wouldn't be here. Uh, so for me, I think Oklahoma gets out early, um, but it's it's going to be tight because Iowa State is a game or a, is a, a team that can run you down with Brees Hall, and they only get stronger with the run game as as the game goes on. Yeah, I, I feel like it's I feel like it's kind of like last year's Baylor game, except Iowa State's offense is a little bit more talented, even though. You know, Baylor's offense last year wasn't that great. I would say it's offense is more talented, a little bit more talented, but more, you know, run you down with ball <clears throat> and then throw it to the tight end. And their defense is mm, about the same level as Baylor's last year. And so I think this game, if if it's played cleanly, I think Oklahoma could win by like 10-17. But I don't think this game will be played cleanly. I think that's the whole point of what Iowa State brings to the Sooners. And then it's this problem that they 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 pose every year their physicality and ripping at the ball. Um, and then of course, just playing with physical uh, physicality on offense and just like beating on the drum time after time after time. So by the third quarter, you know, Trey Norwood and other dudes are just bouncing off of Brees Hall and they don't want to tackle this guy anymore. So Oklahoma, they've got to keep them off the field. And that means Oklahoma needs to be able to run the ball, which is something they could not do in Ames. So that's what they're going to need to be able to do. And right now, honestly, I still don't have confidence that this offensive line for Oklahoma is still going to be that good. They haven't shown us anything that they've been good this year. I guess what Texas and Texas tech in Kansas, because Kansas is garbage. Otherwise that's it. This team is not this, this offensive line has not let them run the ball that much. And so coming to a score, Jack, this game, again, Oklahoma's Oklahoma's favored by five and a half. What is the score on a scale of one to 10? How confident are you in that score? I am going to go Oklahoma 31, Iowa State 28. And as far as confidence in that score, the confidence in it being in that range, I'd say probably a six, just because I think Oklahoma's offensive ceiling in this game. I mean, I'm not saying that Oklahoma isn't capable of scoring 40 or 50. They theoretically are, but. I don't see them scoring any more than anything in the thirties. And I don't see Iowa state against Oklahoma's defense scoring more than anything in the twenties in this edition of it. So I'd say OU something in the thirties, Iowa state something in the twenties. I think that's a pretty realistic range on both ends. So I'd say my confidence is probably a six or a seven. Steven, what about you? I think I'm going to go, I'll go Oklahoma 27, Iowa State 24. Um, I think this game is kind of be, going to be more more punchy. It's going to be more physical. And in a way, it's just going to calm the scoring down. Um, so I think these both of these defenses are going to, going to have a big day. Um, but at the end of the day, the Oklahoma's talent is probably going to be outweigh 
um, Iowa State's five-star culture. How confident are you in that? I'm about a four out of ten. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, so pretty I, confident. Yeah, I, I, and I, I understand because I mean, right now I have Iowa State 35, Oklahoma 31, and I think all of us have chosen you know, it's within three, four points. I think all of us agree it's going to be a tight game. Now, for me, you know, on paper, of course, Oklahoma should win this game. On paper, Oklahoma should have won all the games on their on their on their schedule. And Oklahoma certainly got better throughout the season. They are not the team that they were against Iowa State and Kansas State as they are coming into this weekend this Saturday. They aren't, for sure. They've gotten so much better. They're more mature. They've gotten a lot of playmakers back. But some of the things that they posed against Oklahoma that was just bad the first time around was it wasn't running back issues really the first time around. It was just Spencer Rattler running for his life in the pocket with Eric Swenson and Anton Harrison just running around. So that wasn't good. The defense gave Spencer rather problems. So I know the game has probably slowed down for him quite a bit. Um, but it's still that Iowa State defense with John Haycock, they're, they're fantastic. They're great. And then I look at the offense, you know, they are mature. They know their system well. Uh, hand off to Brisaw, let Brock Purdy kind of scramble around. He's, he's agile enough to get you stuff. And then he can just throw it up to his tight ends. And that's been an issue for Oklahoma with, you know, Trey Brown being under six foot tall, Buki being under six foot tall, Pat Fields beat. I don't think he's is, is above six foot. Delaney Turner Yale is not six foot. Uh, Jay Davis is not six foot. Nobody is really. So it, that's a problem. That's, that's problematic. And so I think this team prevent, uh, presents a, a great and interesting challenge. And so if Oklahoma wants to do them like they got did earlier this season, Oklahoma needs to keep the ball. They need to force a turnover or two and not give up big plays in the return game. Like they did against Iowa state. And they need to make them pass the ball because Oklahoma, when they get Iowa state passing the ball on first down is going to be much better off. Uh, because I mean, if Iowa state's passing the ball and Oklahoma has Ronnie Perkins, David Aguebu, Isaiah Thomas, Perry and Winfrey, and Nick Benito on the field. Like it's game over for a lot of teams in the Big 12. So you need to get them into third and long situations and not let Brees Hall get them running first and second down to third and four. They need to be in third and six. And so I'm choosing Iowa State because they beat Oklahoma already this season. They beat up on them. And I know Oklahoma's learned a lot. So that's why my confidence meters at a three. I think Oklahoma should win, but I don't know because of what Oklahoma's shown me and what they showed us against Baylor last is just leaving maybe a bad taste in my mouth. I don't know. Maybe it's where I'm at. So anyways, guys, there was another big thing that happened today. National signing day, the early signing period, which is now taking place of the major one that would usually happen way down the road a few months from now or two months from now. Uh, now it's once in December and some guys are enrolling early. Some guys want to walk on. We have a couple of interesting things. Going to talk about some of our favorite players that Oklahoma signed today. Uh, here are the top three players for us, maybe the most underrated recruit, some other things that Lincoln Riley said, and then maybe a recruiting update on Foster, Kamar Wheaton, Tristan Lee, and some names to watch that, you know, some other guys are trending other directions. So we'll go to a break. We'll check you guys back in a second. Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, 
Just go to cars.com. It's magical. All right, guys. So today is a special day for college football fanatics everywhere. Uh, it's it's a new thing over the last couple of years. Uh, National Signing Day, but early this time. And so Oklahoma Sooners, they ended up getting the letter of intent from 16 players today. And according to 247 Composite, the Sooners are ter- currently a top 10 class, number seven actually overall. Of course, they are the best in the Big 12. Uh, Texas is falling apart at the seams. Tennessee, remember guys, don't, don't forget, they were building Voltron. They were having a great <laughs> class. They even tweeted pictures of the, the schooner falling over at Oklahoma fans because look at all the recruits they had. And now Oklahoma has skyrocketed far ahead of the Tennessee Vols. With uh, Jack, fewer commits, with fewer signees. Yeah, as well. Of course, yes, of course, yes. The Sooners have less signees with higher rate, higher caliber of players. So, Jack, what are your general thoughts on today? Are, are you excited? Are you waiting for more? What, what are you thinking, man? One of the big things, there's 16 signees, nine of whom, depending on where you put Bully Bowman, mm-hmm. are on defense. Seven of those nine are blue chip recruits. That is, it's a I mean, you've had some good defensive recruits in the past, you know, three or four classes since basically since 2017. But you've never seen Oklahoma this far over the blue chip ratio as far as this kind of thing is concerned. And I'm not being, you know, a, you know, a ratings whore here, but I think there you look at the defensive recruits in this class and you don't see a weak spot or an ounce of filler there. You agree with me there? I think that they've been very strategic in actually looking at players. And uh, yeah, no, I, I agree. It, it doesn't seem like guys that they're like, oh, crap, we missed on it. So we now have to get this three-star guy out of Vanderbilt that's going to somehow get his way out of OU like that happened not that long ago. But yeah, I, I agree. Um, I really like what they're doing. They're using, they're taking like the no wasted space kind of mentality, I suppose. Uh, they're making... basically the exact opposite of where Oklahoma was, you know, yeah. in the middle of the decade or early in the decade. I mean, you look at, you look at the Mike Stoops days where, I mean, they were just hoping to close on dudes like Khalil Houghton uh, at his house in Waco at the very end. And he never really became much, but I can't tell if he didn't become much because of the system he was in or if he was just in that great of a player. I, you know, I, t- I tend to think that if Alex Grinch had been coaching, and he had safeties like Khalil Howden and Steven Parker, he might, they, they, both those players might've been a lot better off. So I can't really tell, but Steven, like what, what is your take on today? Uh, the Sooners signed some really great prospects and are looking forward to some more um, in the second version of national signing day. Right. So I think one thing um, that stands out about this class is just the sheer size of, of these guys coming in. I think um, depending where, where Billy Bowman lands on either side of the ball. Um, I think let's just count his offense right now. There's not a sub six foot guy in this class. Yeah. Um, they've done okay. a, a pretty good job of just recruiting size, like Ethan Downs, six, four, uh, Nathan Rollins, Kimbangye, six, seven. You're looking at guys that are, are those, those power forward type guys that can really, really stress passing lanes, but also get up field. They have the size and speed to do so. Um, so this is a class that, you look at uh, Alex Grinch's defense now, and he's doing a, a pretty good job with guys that really aren't fitting his system too well, other than the guys on, on the front seven. 
Um, so you're looking, you're looking at a, a class that could maybe build that foundation to a playoff defense potentially. Oh, no, I agree. And, and, and this is one of the reasons why I'm very excited over the next few years, what this team could be like if Oklahoma keeps Lincoln Riley, Alex Grinch intact. I mean, the sky's the limit. It feels like with Lincoln Riley's offense and an aggressive Alex Grinch defense with several blue chippers mixed in that are big. It uh, looks really good for Oklahoma in the future. I'm quite excited to see all of that. And so looking at today's signees, I suppose, uh, Stephen, I'm coming to you first. Besides Caleb Williams, that we know is like one of the top three players in the country, not just quarterbacks, and I'm just talking the country. Besides Caleb Williams, who are the your favorite or best, your top three players that are most significant to this class, do you think? Uh, well, we already mentioned Billy Bowman just now, so I'll go. I'll go. Uh, Mario Williams, Clayton Smith, and Kel- Kelvin Gilliam. Um, I think Mario Williams is a dynamic receiver. Um, he's a guy that could be, you know, potentially that next Ryan Broyles type receiver that's just going to light guys up in the in the, in the Big Twelve. And I think Ryan Broyles um, didn't have that NFL future, but uh, you know, injuries kind of hampered that in Detroit. But he's a guy that could be really, really special, especially in uh, Lincoln Riley's offense that's so predicated on uh, one-on-ones and then Clayton Smith you're looking at a guy that's at 6'4 220 probably a rush end um, you look at a guy like Nick Benito he's, he's bigger than that right now mm-hmm. yeah um, he d- he's going to take some time to kind of fill out a little bit just because he is so rangy um, but once he does I mean he could be maybe Oklahoma's best player on the defense that's just how good he is that's, it reminds that's the, me, the ceiling it reminds me of what Alex Grinch could have done with an Addison Gums had he not transferred yeah. to Oregon State. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that's that's a weird thing to think about. But uh, you, you also look at Kelvin Gilliam um, from the East Coast. That's that's where Oklahoma's kind of struggled to get in, especially with those highly rated defensive players. Um, Clemson kind of made a living on just living these, getting these defensive linemen all together. So um, at worst, this is a pipeline to open up some maybe some potential more more players from that defensive side on the East coast. So I think he's a good player. I'm not sure exactly where he fits probably inside as a, as a nose, but we'll see. Jack, same question to you. Okay. I am also going to go with Mario Williams just because of kind of what Steven mentioned. There's the route running ability, which obviously you made the parallel of Ryan Broyles and Ryan Broyles is one of the best route runners I've ever seen. And Kamiya earlier in the day, you mentioned the twitchiness of Mario Williams. That's mm-hmm. something he brings to the table as well. I just think, Utilizing him in this offense, I think he brings something to the table that not a lot of recent receivers have really brought to the table as far as twitchiness and route running ability. So I I would say him and then Clayton Smith as well. And then for my third, I tell you what, just because of the potential and the versatility, I'm going to go with NRK. Okay. Just because, you know, 6'7", 240, one year of football under his, under his belt, more of a basketball guy up until that point, mm-hmm. really athletic. Obviously, his dimensions are a little bit different, but <laughs> the last uh, person who this situation came up for, Jalen Redmond. Jalen Redmond is someone who comes to mind as far as right. And, you know, with him being 6'7", 240, you know, do you want to beef him up and put him inside? Do you want to maybe keep him at the same weight and let him be a rush linebacker? Do you want to maybe add a little bit of weight and be more of a true defensive end? I mean, you can – the sky's the limit and the the slate is blank, essentially. 
Yeah, I think the so, answer is all the above. Of course. And, you know, the minute he gets on campus, you know, Thibodeau and Kane can decide what they want to do with him. That's and fair. There really isn't a bad option there, it doesn't seem like. You know, I, I agree. And and someone uh, compared NRK to like Kayvon Thibodeau. Mm. Uh, obviously, okay. the ability is not there. Kayvon Thibodeau was a was a highly rated, I think he was the number one prospect in that well, class. Yeah. But uh, it gives you an idea. He's more that trim defensive end, maybe an interior uh, defensive lineman with a lot of speed. Yeah. And, you know, my three are guys that you guys have mentioned several times. Uh, Billy Bowman, gosh, just looking at his his film, the guy, I don't care what, what side of the ball he plays on. Just get him on the field. He has incredible ball skills, incredible catch radius, vision, awareness. Uh, just The man knows how to play football. He ha- knows how to play it well, and he's one of the best in the country. And it's also more satisfying that Oklahoma did indeed flip him from Texas. And also, I mean, he has a love connection to OU. His, his I think his girlfriend was like the number one recruit in softball for OU. And so, you know, just a – just two very high caliber athletes, man. Just, uh, you know, maybe they'll have a child and have a super athlete. Um, <laughs> my next one is Kelvin Gilliam. Yeah. Six, four, two sixty. <laughs> like you could do a lot with Kelvin Gilliam at six, four, two sixty. I think like Steven said, you know, he could be inside. He could be outside. Uh, you could, you can play as a tackle. You can play as, a, as an end. You might even filter him sometimes as a nose tackle. That's kind of the way the Oklahoma defense is going on the defensive line. Anyways, just shuffling bodies, getting athletic bodies in there. You're not worried about taking one. Like you're not worried about anchoring a defensive line. You're trying to create havoc. You're trying to get through your one gap. It's a one gap responsibility. And so I think, you know, Kelvin Gilliam, he'd be great there, especially in that pipeline in the DMV area. And then, of course, another name that you guys said, Clayton Smith. Yeah, like you guys mentioned, his size, 6'4", 220. That's like, that's bigger than Nick Benito. He's going to fill out. He has incredibly long arms. You're getting to the point where Oklahoma is no longer recruiting power five defensive football players. Now Oklahoma's going for guys that can play in the NFL, and that's been a big difference. I mean, Texas Tech, every year, they yeah, they get two- and three-star guys. Those are Power 5 contributors, sure. In Oklahoma, they were living off of those, those Power 5 contributors. Those three-star guys, and you might have a four-star here and there that might not even fit, like a Ricky DeBerry who just didn't even fit the scheme, but uh, Monty uh, brought him in anyways, and that was a big <laughs> issue between the Stoops brothers and uh, Montgomery. And that's not been the case at OU. And so Clayton Smith, this guy's going to play in the NFL. Kelvin Gilliam, he should be able to play in the NFL. Billy Bowman, he has the the talent to play in the NFL. All of these guys are NFL guys. Oklahoma's getting to the part of their trajectory where no longer are they just competing to win their own conference. They're trying to get those guys that Bama has, those guys that Clemson has year in and year out, and get those three-star guys to those high-caliber levels to get to the NFL. They want NFL guys. Um, that's what they're trying to get. And so that's what I'm looking for. Now, Steven, I'm coming to you first. Who's your most underrated recruit? We already talked about NRK. So I think I'm going to go Latrell McCutcheon here. Um, he's kind of slipped in the recent rankings, um, probably because he hasn't been playing too much. He's coming off mm-hmm. that, that leg injury. So, uh, but this is a guy that Alabama really, really wanted. Um and fought for still to keep his, keep his commitment up until he decommitted. Um, I believe it was earlier in this year. 
but uh, you know he's a he's a DB that um, has a lot of size. Um, he can play you know one on ones. Um, he uses his range a lot. He's got speed. And the one thing I do like about this is he can really help in the run game. Um, I think with the current scheme, you look at like guys like Brennan Radley, Hiles, Trey Brown. They, I mean, they're not bad by any means, but what they do is essentially slow guys down. Whereas Latrell McCutcheon can basically just stop a guy one on one, stop a running back one on one. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I love, I love Latrell McCutcheon. The dude was on, a, you know, a guilty pleasure TV show of mine that like <laughs> I like, but like not because the storyline's amazing. It's just funny to watch parents get really pissed off at little league kids. I am kids. proud to say I have never seen that show. Yeah, oh, you're missing out. Friday I'm, Night Tights, I'm man. You're missing out. I'm sort of intrigued. I'm not gonna it's lie. Like, it's like it's like dance moms, but for like dudes. Uh, where like you know the coaches will tell other kids to go like kill each other. Like they actually say that. One of like one of the coaches was like go hit him in his head. I don't care if he gets up. And then the cameras caught him and then he got suspended for a season because they're like, <laughs> Oh, you're like deliberately telling you to telling this kid to injure another kid. And like all the bribing of like getting players to go to their own local team. And now those guys are finally becoming college athletes. It's, it's weird. It's a little trauma catching. Yeah. He was on he break someone's time. arm in that ah, yeah. arm. And he talked a bunch of trash as a as a as a tyke. So I wonder how much trash he talks now, <laughs> as almost almost 19, 20 years old in the next couple of years. But Jack, who who is your, you know, diamond in the rough, I guess, or underrated recruit that people are kind of overlooking? We're gonna go the okay preps route here, just to pander to everyone. How about of that? Course, you know, um, I'm gonna go. Yeah, Jordan someone, <laughs> someone, yes, yeah, someone. No comment. Uh, Jordan Mukes. I'm going to go with him just because, you know, he's 6'4 safety. He's basically a, for lack of a better term, he's an Alex Grinch wet dream, essentially. I mean, he's, he's, what is he? The, he's the, I believe he's the third 6'3 safety that Grinch has brought in in the past two signing classes. If I think it's Bryson Washington, mm. Justin Harrington, and now Jordan Mukes. I don't know. I just he, know he. I just Washington's a little. Arm. I think he's like six one. But he's, yeah, he's was he he's six a, one? I thought yeah. he was like six three. He's like six one, <laughs> six two. I think. But it kind I of mean, squibbed a little bit. I just know that his arms basically go down to his toes. Like that's <laughs> yes. how. So long basically, arms functionally, are. it's the same thing. Yeah. So, you know, he's exactly what Alex Grinch wants, and because of that, he's probably going to get a lot of playing time, and he genuinely is very very athletic not just for his size he's just an extremely athletic safety i've you know watched him a little bit around here but he would be the guy i would go with if you're going to go with a diamond in the rough and he was someone who basically he was pretty lightly recruited his offer list is not anything special just because he was sort of a late arrival on the uh, recruiting radar he's someone who if he had been you know, discovered a bit sooner, he would probably be up in probably the 100s or 200 range as far mm-hmm. as ranking is concerned. But he's he's promising enough to where he was able to bump his way up to four-star status before signing day. So, you know, a lot of people see something in him. I mean, he seems legitimate. So I'm going to go with the uh, Choctaw guy, Jordan Mews. I'm going to go with a guy that is already teammates with an incoming Sooner. I'm going to go with Damon Harmon. Him and Kelvin Gilliam are teammates on the same football team in Oklahoma. 
They got Harmon to commit to them earlier this way earlier this year during when the pandemic, when people were like taking it really serious and Harmon at that time, I think was a three-star kid at the DMV area and that people were like, not too like high on or not. He wasn't well known and he didn't really have that many offers. And then the next thing, you know, after Oklahoma offered and then like he starts showing out at camp, he gets a Georgia offer. He gets an Ohio state offer. And so then suddenly his stock just trends up. He's a six foot one, 180 pound defensive back. I don't know if they're going to, I assume they're going to play him at corner. He's big and he's been playing corner. He hasn't been playing safety. And again, more that DMV connection that Maryland, Virginia kind of area, DC, all those guys, if Oklahoma can keep that connection open with all the other places they're going, I mean, they've got great shots and that's how they're going to get their big defensive backs from now on. It sounds like, and so I really like what Damon Harmon brings to the table again, it's this new era of Oklahoma defense where guys are big um, and disrupting passing lanes and supporting in the run game, playing a lot more zone and a lot less man. And uh, I, I just really like what they're getting, what they're doing. And instead of, you know, going for guys that are five foot nine that are quick and can't high point a ball. So, I mean, you saw what they've been able to do with some of these bigger guys already in in these newer classes, just being coached by Roy Manning and just being coached by Alex Grinch. I'm excited for the future and what this team will look like. So pretty briefly, a couple storylines. So first of all, I mean, they talk about the quarterback. You got to love the quarterback that lives in Norman already. He's finishing, he finishes a class, like living in an apartment in Norman, hosting other recruits is wild, just completely odd. That's not normal at all. Um, Caleb Williams and his dad told Lincoln Riley, they would walk on to the OU football team, even after Brock Vandergriff committed, because they just knew Lincoln Riley is a quarterback whisperer. Lincoln Riley is going to get you probably a cultural playoff or two, maybe a national title. The defense is good. A Heisman Trophy winner and a trip to the NFL, as you've seen the last three quarterbacks go subsequently after one after another. Spencer Rattler will be the fourth one in a row that goes in the first three rounds. And then you'll have a Caleb Williams. And so I thought that was really interesting and pertinent to the discussion because holy crap, that's just incredible. And then the other storyline that you might want to talk about is Savion Bird, who like was a big time Oklahoma lean. I remember just like getting on a podcast and not talking on the podcast. Yeah, but talking beforehand thinking like, man, when is he going to like, it's been like this since the summer. Like when is Savion Bird going to commit to Oklahoma? And then at the very last second, it seems like, oh, he's going to go to SMU with his friends. And then he surprises folks and he ends up eh, committing to the Oklahoma Sooners today on National Signing Day. So, mom steered him in the right direction. So, so yeah. So, so, Jack, I'm coming to you first, man. What do you think about the Caleb Williams stuff? What do you think about the Savion Bird stuff? What's going on? Okay. So, I have no doubt that Caleb Williams and his family had considered maybe doing this at some point i he seems like the relationship with lincoln riley is extremely strong whether on a practical level they would have actually done that i highly doubt it but then again there's literally no way of knowing and literally no way of disproving it so there you go as far as bird is concerned i mean as as recently as this morning it looked like it was an open and shut SMU signing. Mm -hmm. And I, and like, it was the things you mentioned. It was his friends going to SMU. It was the uh, relationship with Rashad samples, who is the son 
of his high school coach at Duncanville. Yep. He's their wide receivers coach at SMU. And so there were those relationships, but his mom apparently sees through all of this and steers him in the right direction because how can you possibly stack the two up against one another? You have Bill Biedenboe and Oklahoma who have such a great recent track record of putting offensive linemen in the NFL. And then you have SMU who has essentially no recent track record of anything like this. Why? I mean, obviously the relationships are a big deal, but you sort of have to make a business decision. And it mm-hmm. seems like the people who were in Savion Bird's corner, to their credit, had the perfectly level head, had the right priorities in mind, and he had the right people in his ear, and he was steered in the right direction. Obviously, I'm a little biased, but I feel like objectively, no, I think, it I was think the better biased. move, of course, yeah. I think, there's, I, think, I think there's tangible evidence that suggests if you go to Oklahoma as an offensive lineman, you are going to be far better off than you of ever course. would be in the Dallas Metroplex. I I think, think, yeah, that's, that's objectively true. Yeah. And like, I mean, that's, and that's the, that's the entire time I was thinking about all these rumors. I was like, man, like you could go, yeah, you could go to be a Dallas and be a big man on campus for sure. And, and you would be a, one of the best highly Going rated. to SMU would be a lot of fun. Yeah. And SMU is a great school. It's nice school. It's lots of, lots of great women there. Uh, it's nice cars, everything. And that whole institution is wonderful and it's pretty and it's beautiful. Great part uh, of town yeah and restaurants around there but then you look at oklahoma it's like all right what what do you want out of this are you looking for a great education or are you looking to get to the nfl because a famous quarterback once said uh at ohio state he didn't come there to play school you know cardale jones and he ended up in the nfl for like a cup of coffee and that was it well and he (laughs) ended up playing school after all he graduated he did he did because found out that college being being a third string quarterback and winning a national title is no intention of playing school but play school he did he did But Steven, same question to you. Like it's Caleb Williams stuff with Vandergriff, you know, being one to be coached by coached by Lincoln, that storyline, Savion Bird, just it looked like it's gonna look like he flipped Oklahoma at the last second to some. It's gonna look like he was always an Oklahoma lean to a lot. It's gonna look like that Oklahoma maybe swayed him away from SMU last second to SMU fans, maybe. What are you what are your thoughts on this? We'll stick with Bird. Um, on the last podcast, we kind of talked about this the same issue is how does Oklahoma combat the recruiting from Rashad Samples, who's one of the better young recruiters in the country yeah. right now? Um, and then furthermore, you know, their biggest recruiting pitch maybe this late in the game would be, hey, this guy's this guy's good. He, he's getting he's a good recruiter. He's a good coach. He's probably not going to stick at SMU. He's probably going to get a, a larger job somewhere else. And then SMU, of course, you know, gives him a three year extension. So that right. went out the yeah, door. Yeah, saw that. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, I think we mentioned last, last week that, you know, SMU is a great school, beautiful campus, all this other stuff, but it's hard to ignore the two products on the field. Um, and which one's going to take you a little bit farther. Um, Oklahoma obviously has a, a, a reputation of producing NFL caliber linemen. Now SMU, um, starting to kind of put some pieces together to be become a pretty pretty decent program um but you know the two are completely different obviously um oklahoma's product on the field is just so much better and that's just hard to ignore i think you've said it all and you're gonna have to continue saying it all because 
recruiting update on three very high profile <laughs> players, all five-star guys, Bryce Foster, Kamar Wheaton, Tristan Lee. At one point, all three were trending OU. Uh, I know one we sh- I think I know one <clears throat> sooner fans are uh, should be sad about pretty soon uh, coming this Friday. Kamar Whedon is just man, it's just the weirdest thing. It's just so quiet. <laughs> there's no information. Nobody knows Too anything. Quiet. It's so freaking weird. But at the same time, there's no real reason for optimism for any other school but Oklahoma at this point. Yeah, no, no, no I, don't, right. I don't think you're wrong. And interestingly, I think the optimism for Oklahoma part of it is context clues and process yeah. of or uh, process of elimination. There's no real reason to believe that anyone else has much of a hope there. So it's sort of Oklahoma by default, it seems like. I mean, we all thought we all thought the other the other running back from Lido, Texas, with that was committed to OU for like two years, would all was also like a foregone conclusion. And then now that coach that was supposed to get him signed is now coaching at Texas for now. For now. So that's always fun. And <laughs> but, Tristan, uh... Tristan Lee's another guy. So like to tell me should Sooner fans be happy? Should they be sad? What is the situation going on for these three guys? Well, I forgot to answer the the Caleb Williams question. And uh, I remember that talk about the the walk-on after he, he did the visit very early on while Vandergriff was committed. And we all kind of just laughed at it. Yeah, uh, yeah. But now that, you know, he's posted this picture on Instagram of his house, and it's it's very, very nice. I sent it to you guys. Um, I can kind of believe it. I can kind of the believe the walk on. The school he went to in D.C. is a bit of a high-dollar institution. It seems like it because yeah. this – I don't know if that's a – is this a house or maybe maybe a temporary apartment? Either way, it's very nice. But um, let's get to the bad news. Uh, Bryce Foster obviously trending the wrong direction. Um, for, this is one of those things where I don't think Bryce Foster misled OU or OU fans in any way. Um but there's a difference between being recruited and making a decision. Um, And Oklahoma, I think won that recruiting battle um, hands down. But when it, at the end of the day, you can like Oklahoma as much as you want, but you know, are you going to be comfortable enough to make that decision to go there? um, Knowing your family is, as our Texas A&M alums. So it's one of those things where I think he really did like Oklahoma, but he didn't really think about maybe, the decision at hand and how to, you know, how to say no, how to say yes. And at the end of the day, I think he felt more comfortable with Texas AM. But, you know, we still have what, 24 hours before his decision. So who knows? If AM isn't having the season that they are right now, is this even a race? Uh, it's because, less of a race. It's less AM of a is race. having like a, AM is having a fake good season. They've played almost nobody, but they're still right. in the top five, six. No, I don't think it changes much, but I think it's it's a little bit closer. Okay. I think this would go down to his announcement day, whereas you know we're two days before, twenty four hours before, and we kind of know Had where this good is going to go. Yeah. yeah. So what about, what about Kamar or Tristan Lee? <laughs> no one knows really with Kamar. Yeah. Um, the last good info anyone ever got, I think, was during the summer, <laughs> and uh, I think everything pointed towards Oklahoma's direction. Obviously, his teammate and Savion Birds going to Oklahoma, so. I, you know, I don't think anyone's picking against Oklahoma here. They just don't know exactly when, or well, I guess not to win, but confidence level, it could be a one at this point because he just doesn't say anything. That's, that's quite annoying. And uh, yeah, it's pretty it's unheard just, of for a high profile prospect. It's weird, man. It's right? weird. And like, of course, 
I don't, I don't know. I don't even know what to think about Kamar Whedon. Like, I think a lot of fans and a lot of people following it assume Whedon will just end up at OU eventually. And that it just may be a matter of time because, like you said, there have been no clues. But at the same time, like what it's Jackson- like when the Woj gets to the Thunder in the draft. That's well, it's frustrating. <laughs> it's like radio silence. And, but like, like, like you said, Jack, you think like, Woj no- could get any info on Wheaton, or is this just not. one no, of those lockdown situations? So. It's just like there's no precedent for like any other time. But then, like you saw what happened last year, which just seems like an anomaly. But it happened to Oklahoma with Josh Jacobs, which. Of course, they didn't recruit him, apparently, but they did. And then it happened again last year. So it's like, geez, like, is Oklahoma going to have another running back stolen from Alabama? I think it's more along the lines of, like, what has happened the last two or three cycles than what is going on currently because people look at these things in a vacuum and not in relation to one another. But do we know anything about Tristan Lee? I know he's going to postpone, like, his recruitment. Not postpone, but, like, I know he's going to announce in January – I know right. he looks good for the Sooners, but I know Oklahoma, Florida is also looking good too. So what's going on here? I think he may have just taken a, a visit to Florida, if not plans to. Um, they'd be the other, other contender in this this regard. But Oklahoma's lead here, um, I, I think they feel pretty comfortable where they're at, even with with the visit to Florida. Um, you know, obviously things can change from here to you know to January second, but um, I think Oklahoma's in really good really good point. Um, all they have to do is just really close this thing. And I think they will, especially with Caleb Williams being so close to Tristan Lee. And I got my last question, dude. I know I'm running you into the dirt, but <laughs> this class we all knew was going to be a little bit small because there's not that many people graduating. It's they're simply just are right. not. And it's, they're going to have to figure out the incident was going to figure out numbers because with the scholarships coming in with the amount of players taking the year off that still have eligibility, the NCAA is going to have to figure out something here. And they're all also the NCAA is going to have to figure out what the hell they're going to do with paying players. That's something that is going to happen at the Supreme court next year that they mentioned today on ESPN. So that'll be a topic uh, for the off season for sure. But who are some names recruits, maybe some transfers even because those have been hot in the market to look out for as the Sooners head into the conference championship game, the bowl game, and then eventually national signing day, the original part two though. Yeah, I think, uh, well, Jack's actually only mentioned it. Uh, the Perkins kid that just de- decommitted from Oregon um, has some people excited, obviously out of Mississippi, uh, Juco. So that's a highly touted uh, Juco area. I'm not sure exactly where OU stands or if they're even interested at this point. Obviously, um, you know, with Jordan Gilbert probably heading to, or I think he did go to LSU today, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. Um, they'd like to take another DB. So this is another option for them if they could get involved. Um, other than that, there's not a lot of names out there. There's a couple offensive linemen floating around, but um, I think this is all going to go down to the portal and it's names that aren't even out there yet. I think um, the big one would be Dylan Wright at this point, the Texas A&M receiver, um, highly touted out of high school, Oklahoma heavily recruited him. So there's a good relationship involved. Um, but I th- it, this transfer portal just seems like it's going to be ridiculous and it's going to, Oh yeah. It well, might be day. a second I mean, recruiting season. OU's backup kicker is in the transfer portal already. And <laughs> yeah. it's, that, 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 all, that's all you need to know. And, Jack, I, I posed this question not that long before we started talking. I mean, I was I was just asking, like, hey, you know, under Alex Grinch, it seems like Oklahoma's taking more JUCOs than they had previously uh, to the point where Isaiah Coe tries to commit and everybody just doesn't know what to do. And then eventually there's like, yeah, sure. Whatever. And, and Annie Hansen retweets him and that's, that's it. And so like Jack, and you mentioned something didn't like, even are you do a 
write up for that. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, are you worried about the amount of walk-ons that Alex Grinch is mean, kind of pursuing, especially? Oh yeah, yeah, not walk-ons, but JUCOs and like the defensive backfield or the defensive line that they've done recently. See, the thing is, they're bringing in a few per class defensively, like this. Last year, 2020 class, it was uh, Harrington, right. Ellison, and uh, Winfrey. Winfrey, correct. This class, it's looking like I, I bet they, with Co, they'll probably add one more Juco guy. So that'll be two on defense and none on offense. So it's not to the point where it was, you know, famously at Kansas with Charlie Weiss and David Beatty, or where they were on, taking on in so many K-State. guys that it was fudging the numbers yeah. scholarship wise. And they were left with like, by the time they left, there were like, there was only room for 50 scholarship players because of the limits that you can take per class. Oklahoma is not taking enough for that to really be an issue. So it's not something that I'm worried about. And also you saw how well it's worked out with the Juco guys that have come in. Mm-hmm. I mean, Harrington obviously hasn't been able to play, but Winfrey has been a godsend. Ellison's been and good Ellison too. Ellison has contributed quite a bit. So I'm right now, I'm not one to doubt if Alex Grinch sees someone in the Juco ranks that he thinks can contribute immediately to this defense, you know, more power to him. As long as he's not bringing in, you know, five or six Juco guys and fudging the numbers. So I'm not too concerned about it. I think it's a fair assessment. And so kind of moving on to this last thing before we get off the podcast, um, Steven, I'm coming to you first. Right now, as the season stands, Oklahoma is looking for a Big 12 title for the sixth year in a row, a top 10 recruiting class, uh, no college football playoff in the middle of a pandemic and also kind of like a shift of a changing of the guard offensively. Now you go from, you know, Baker, Kyler, one year of Jalen as like a kind of a, a break year to Spencer Rattler, which is a break year to what might be really special next year. Is this season a success as it stands right now, or do they have to win the Big 12 to make it be a success? What do you think? I don't think the Big 12 championship really matters in the grand scheme of this this season. Um, the one thing we kind of wanted to see was these players grow up, these young players grow up. I think we did. Um, especially with Spencer Rattler. I mean, it's just a nine day difference with his decision-making. Um, it's not perfect, but you know, neither was, you know, Baker Mayfield's in the 2015 season. So, um, you know, this is, he's learned a lot of lessons. Um, this offensive line is kind of gelled a little bit more. Um, you look at the defense, especially on the, that front seven, it just seems like it just keeps getting better. So um, the biggest thing is like, uh, this is setting up, the road to 2021, 2022 into those seasons where, but you know, both you and I kind of discussed, that's probably where that championship window begins. Yeah. And Jack, what do you think? Is this season a success if they win the big 12 title or without, or what do you think? I would say the only way that this year's big 12 championship game would have been consequential for the future health of this program is if Oklahoma was playing Texas in this game because it would matter so much for the momentum of the programs for recruiting for the status of Tom Herman, yada, 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 et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If Tom Herman, obviously this was never going to happen because he's inept, but he, if say, if Tom Herman had led Texas to the big 12 championship game against Oklahoma and beaten Oklahoma in this game, 
things would be trending in their direction recruiting wise. Mm-hmm. And this obviously with Iowa state being the other team in this equation, that's not really on the table because Iowa state has a ceiling recruiting wise. Iowa state does not get into recruiting battles with Oklahoma. There's no real issue there. There's no way that Oklahoma even losing this game would really have any kind of impact on the way that anyone views this program really, because the defense has shown so much. We know for a fact that the defense is recruiting and that the talent is getting better. We know for a fact that Oklahoma is recruiting offensively the way that it always has been, and maybe even a little bit better. So I don't think there's really any concern about the long-term viability of this program. And I don't think the big 12 championship game is tied into that whatsoever in this instance. So, but as far as, being seen as a success, I, you know, fans would have a, you know, fuzzy feeling in their stomach if Oklahoma won a sixth consecutive Big 12 championship and had, and maybe goes to the Cotton Bowl or some other New Year's Six Bowl and wins. Mm-hmm. Obviously, as a fan, I would love that. I think we would all enjoy that, obviously, but I don't think there's really much riding on these games as far as the long-term viability of this program. Hmm. I mean, I, I, I don't think you're wrong at all. And, you know, I think the season, regardless of what we're doing, um, I think that, especially after those first two early losses, I look at this team and I was like, oh, they're not going to, they're not going to win the big 12 and they're not going to go to college football playoffs. They're not going to go to a good bowl game. They might go to a decent bowl game. And I said, they, they might they, they might be the best six and four team or seven and three team in the country, and you know they should be eight and two. But of course, now they're still there's they're seven and two, so they still might be the best seven and three team in the country after this weekend. Who knows? Um, so I think the season is a success regardless right now because they're where they need to be. They're a top ten team. They're gonna play in their sixth consecutive conference championship against a pretty good team that they already lost to to test their medal again once more one more time and see if they can beat them um, when they were unsuccessful early in the season like they did Texas a few years back. And then of course the if they were to win they'd go to a good bowl game. If they and even if they were to lose I think they still go to a good bowl game. I mean so I think this season is a success after you've seen so much growth on the offensive side of the ball uh, with those so many young pieces playing well together and then what you've seen from the defense just getting better day after day and game after game and you can you can label the season a success now of course they lose the next two games we'll all feel differently in the end um but i think right now as with sands yeah i think the season is a success as far as where they where they came where the expectations were and um how they've kind of like i guess weathered the storm throughout the year but i think it wraps it up for me do you guys have anything else to say no, I'm good. I think I'm Gucci. Yeah, man, we got to get out of here. It's uh, it's getting late, and we've podcasted for a while. So, anyways, guys, jump over to crimsonandcreammachine.com. Uh, it's a bunch of great work. Uh, they do a lot of great work. Uh, like we, we put up a lot of, you know, sign letter intent, commit posts today. Uh, lots of basketball action going on. Lots of football action going on. Um, always great stuff over there. Go, you guys can follow us on Twitter. You can find Jack at either CC Machine or J Larry Shields. I'm at Kamarabi and CCM. 
Steven is at OUPdatedSB. Alan Kenny drops his stuff every week as well um, on the podcast. You can follow him at, at Blatant Homerism. And guys, we're on iTunes, we're on Spotify, Stitcher, pretty much we can get a podcast wherever it is. Uh, if you can, give us a five-star rating. We really appreciate it. And we'll check you guys later for the post game. <laughs>